Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Hey, it's Colin here. I want to tell you about something brand new from our friends over at the On Poly team. It's the On Poly newsletter, and you can get it in your inbox twice a week. It's a newsletter brought to you by the people who make the On Poly podcast, which is hosted by my buds, John Michael McGrath and Steve Pagan. If you haven't listened to On Poly yet, you really should. You've never heard Ontario politics being discussed this way before. And now you can get behind the scenes of the podcast with their brand new On Poly newsletter. Subscribe now. Go to tvo.org slash newsletter and subscribe today. Hi, I'm Colin Ellis, and this is On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. When Nelson Mandela came in as president, one of the first moves he did was to free all the women to relegate a mother to prison, was to subjugate generations to come. More than half of the women who are in prison are racialized women. Many of them have experienced horrific violence as children and as adults. Not having that motherly love, basically, is what got me here. This week's doc is a story about prison life, specifically for prisoners who are women. The statistic that women are the fastest rising prison population in Canada and around the world is really what um, made it very urgent for us. That's Nance Ackerman. She's one of the filmmakers who made Conviction, a doc that questions the very notion of punishment and prison. There are nearly 40% more women in Canadian federal prisons than there were in 2007. And in the U.S., the number of incarcerated women has increased at twice the pace of men since 1980. But why? To learn more about prison culture, the filmmakers knew they needed a point of view from the inside. When it comes to social issue docs... To try to be in the other people's shoes and tell their story for them is a, to me, is um, a pretty dangerous path to walk. So they decided to empower their subjects with a camera, headphones, a microphone, and art supplies. We know that being in jail and the whole issue across Canada right now needs to be told. So we were just ready to open our mouths and start speaking what needs to be spoken, I guess. That's Bianca Mercer. She's a 25-year-old student at Dalhousie University and an ex-convict. She's also one of the women featured in the film. Instead of investing into more jails to invest in the women um, and put money into our mental health systems and our addiction systems and make more uh, resources for women. What Bianca is talking about is a provocative concept known as decarceration. It's the opposite of incarceration, where instead of putting people in jail, Decarceration focuses on healing traumas and restorative justice. We know what we need to get help, and um, if people would just listen instead of just throwing us in jail, then uh, we'd actually see a difference. We'll talk about that and more next on Docs. Nance and Bianca, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Nance, I want to just start with you. You made a documentary about women in prison. What sparked the project? Well, it was a pretty heavy-duty collaboration um, with uh, Teresa McGinnis and Ariella Palka. Uh, the three of us um, 
had been really um, influenced by the work of Kim Pate, who at the time, well, she's a senator now, but at the time was the executive director of the Elizabeth Fry Society, who fights for the rights of prisoners. And her work uh, surrounding the Ashley Smith case uh, all struck us as something that needed to be explored. And the statistic that women are the fastest rising prison population in Canada and around the world is really what um, made it very urgent for us. So we decided to start on this, but we ha wanted to do it as a true collaboration with Women Inside. So that's when we wrote Bianca into it. <laughs> that was Yeah, that, that st struck out for me. The women in the film are actually uh, collaborators. Um, why was that, I guess, important to you? Well, first of all, in almost all of my documentaries and um, most of the other women's documentaries, that's how we operate. We're, we're very, um, it's when it comes to social issue docs, to try to be in the other people's shoes and tell their story for them is a, to me, is um, a pretty dangerous path to walk. So as a journalist and um, as an artist, uh, we felt that they were the best people to tell their own stories. And Bianca, why did you agree to be part of this documentary? <laughs> oh, God. Um, I actually was, like, kind of on strike at first about the film. I really wanted to be part of it, but they kept putting me on levels and not letting me go when they first came. <laughs> but uh, I finally got off of uh, disciplinary, uh, so I got to go over and see what was going on um, with the film and what what's going to start happening. And... Um, at first, it was kind of just like, it just kind of sparked me because I thought it was just going to be something little. I never expected it to be uh, something this big. But after I got released, um, I just really liked doing it because not only it gave me kind of something to do other than using and being on drugs and stuff, it actually gave me hope to actually make change. So that's kind of what really got me into uh doing the film a lot more after my release and stuff. So it was cool. Well, the film follows the lives of five women uh, and their lives in and out of prison. And uh, there's a lot of access, uh, I guess, that you would need both from the prison and the women th themselves. And I, I want to start with the women first. You're talking to them at very low points in their lives, Nance. How did you establish trust with them? Well, that might be a better question for Bianca, but I think she, she can answer it too. Um, it's sort of the same way you establish trust with with anybody who's going to share a huge part of their life with you, um, you tend to share part of your own life. Uh, so I shared some of my experiences um, that were not similar but could be relatable. Um, I spent a lot of time listening and spent a lot of time being there for them, not not and not necessarily always with a camera in my hand. So. I don't know, maybe B, do you? Yeah, I kind of think like the film crew when they came in, it's kind of like a pack of wolves when you're an outsider, you come in, you kind of just show your most vulnerable points to kind of like let them in. But not only that, I don't even think that us women that did the film even needed trust. We kind of just needed to have our voice heard and it had really nothing to do with trust at the end of it. We, we know that being in jail and that whole issue across Canada right now needs to be told so we were just ready to open our mouths and start speaking what need to be spoken I guess so, 
yeah, I don't really think it came down to trust. I just think it came down to having to make change. Yeah, we were we were just a conduit, basically. You know, these are these are very well spoken, artistic, intelligent women, and this was just we just gave them the tools. Remember, what are you today? I'm a filmmaker, and That's I'm sober. Right. That's right. Okay. 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 Thank you so much. Freedom. Freedom. Freed, released, unleashed, time complete, walking back into society, riddled with anxiety. They're operating the, the cameras the, themselves, and are they actually involved in the editing too? Yeah, I mean, we, we did a big sort of, you know, rough cut edit, but mm-hmm. with all the footage that was in, we, were, we presented it to all the five characters and or the participants, collaborators. We showed them the footage, and they had a lot of input as to how, right? I mean, you know, you... Yeah, there I were, think I was the pickiest at all. <laughs> <laughs> she, had a, she had a few scenes, I mean, because, you know, she, she revealed probably more than most, and um, there were a few scenes that she helped edit, for sure. And what about the prison uh, itself? Like, what were the logistics of shooting in there? Well, I mean, we started, what, five years ago? Like, almost five, four and a half years ago. So it took us two years to get access, three years to get access to the federal system. So it took us two years to get in, and it was a lot of meetings and a lot of convincing convincing the prison system that this actually isn't a prison film. This isn't even an anti-prison film. This is basically as society needs to take responsibility for women um, and for men, for anybody who is marginalized and criminalized. We need to take responsibility for our mentally ill. And um, the prisons are basically getting used as warehouses and rehab centers. And and uh, what they do on the inside was being revealed already in, in news stories. And, you know, Bianca talks about that um but that really wasn't it's what happens on the outside is what the film was about and how the prison shouldn't be existing in the first place and so they they actually were were okay with all that um they haven't seen the film yet uh the federal system has and loved it um the provincial system we're going to be having a screening with them in a month or so oh they loved it eh? so what what did they what did they what were their i guess their feedback to you um, well, we showed it to one um, one of the correctional officers who is sort of head of the programming. She was crying quite a lot. She was upset. Uh, there was quite a bit of comments about it in terms of how accurate it was, how that they felt that um, the federal system for women had had basically tried to replace P4W, the prison for women in Kingston, by buildings five, now six, they're building another one, if you can believe it, um, smaller ones that were supposed to be very forward-thinking and no barbed wire and no cameras, like Kim says in the film, and they agreed that they had gone back to what they know. They went back to traditional prison system, and and these women are still being imprisoned for being victims, for, being, for suffering from PTSD and uh, for turning to addiction. The film is is a look at the experience of uh, women in prison. Do you know if it's the experience for women is greatly different from, uh, or is it greatly different for men 
from prison in prison yes <laughs> yeah the i find um if we were to get onto the men's side and do a film like this i think they'd have to close down jails like the stuff that goes on over there it's probably way worse than what goes on on the women's side and i've definitely been abused and neglected by guards um in jail so i can only imagine what the men are going through I think a lot of us have an idea of prison uh, from TV shows. I grew up watching Oz. Uh, Orange is the New Black is obviously a very popular show uh, about women in prison. Do do these shows have anything to say about incarcerated women? Is it accurate? Is it fair? What, what do you think? I think that um, the personalities and the mental illnesses the characters have, like for Orange is the New Black, um, they're very accurate. Um, I think the violence that goes on um, during in some prisons and jails across Canada and in the States and stuff, they may be like that, but I've never really experienced anyone being stabbed or uh, like physically abused by another inmate. It's more just kind of neglect from guards and stuff like that. And I've heard of women being like sexually assaulted um, by male guards through stories and stuff I've read online, but I never really experienced any of that um, throughout my incarceration. But the shows they have in on TV and on Netflix and stuff, they definitely um, show personalities and the mental illness issues that they have inside um, jails now and prisons and stuff. So I think it's accurate in that way. What do you think, Nance? I, I, I'm curious from a filmmaker's point of view, if you think these shows are uh, doing a good or poor job of portraying prison life? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to sit in judgment. You know, documentary is so different than uh, than fiction. So I, I don't want to sit in judgment of fiction shows. Um, they're telling the story of that are written by writers. And, you know, I, I think, as Bianca says, I do think it is quite interesting how they do go into the backstories of the women and, and the addiction and mental illness. So in that way, I think some of them are doing a good job. Um, I do think that the whole concept that incarceration is entertainment is what disturbs me more. Mm-hmm. Um, that that not as as a person as a woman um, that that's what bothers me. You mentioned before that uh, women are the fastest growing prison population. Uh, do you know why that is? One word: poverty. Poverty. Abuse. Addiction, mental illness. It's it's basically they're the most marginalized, and um, if you want to look at statistics, I think it's around ninety two percent of women in custody have experienced sexual and physical abuse as a child. And I'd say it's more than that. It's probably a hundred percent of us women in there that have experienced some kind of abuse, whether it's emotional, physical, or sexual, for sure, hands down. I just wanted to introduce Kim Haight, who's the executive director of the Canadian Association of Elizabeth Fry Societies. More than half of the women who are in prison are racialized women. Most of them are mothers. Most of them are poor. Many of them have experienced horrific violence as children and as adults. And so they very early on dealt with mental health issues or addiction issues. I think you're going to find that most women in society 
have experienced it, and I think it's just who is has access to the support to deal with it. And jail's pretty much where they put us when they can't figure out what to do, basically. Yeah, and 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 you see Sue, who's the Elizabeth Fry worker in the film, who is trying to help people with access and and getting them support on the outside, but she's. She, at the time of filming, I mean, we filmed for two and a half years, so it changed. But um, at one point I was asking her and she had 62 cases um, on the go and, and, and flat out and basically, you know, barely, barely getting her done, anything done with, with each of them. She just could do what she could do. There are court dates. There's um, all kinds of support that was needed and she just didn't have the funding. Elizabeth Fry just didn't have the capability to put more people on the ground to help these women. Here in Nova Scotia, our shelters are in like one of the worst parts of Halifax. Like there's a drug dealer pretty much around the corner from every single homeless shelter. There's there's just halfway houses full of men all around that probably some of the women that have been hurt and abused by one of those men. So it's just, it's really, a, um, it's just a cycle here. Um, and it's just terrible. Like even a part of the film um, where I'm on the, the bench, the park bench. Your call this time. Hi, my name is Bianca Mercer. I'm trying to get a bed. If you guys can get back to me, that'd be great. I am unable to take your call at the moment. Please leave a detailed messaging number and I'll get back to you. Like Nance picked me up that day and we were going to call detoxes. I had appointments and just getting like voicemails and voicemails, trying to find a bed in a homeless shelter. Just couldn't do any of it. It was just no, 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 no. Every which way I turned. So, yeah, it's definitely a huge issue <laughs> to find mm-hmm. somewhere or something here. Well, I, I remember one scene in, in the film where uh, one of the women, Caitlin, uh, She's uh she's finishes her sentence and she goes home, but her mom says her daughter actually feels safer in jail. And I wonder if part of the reason she feels that way is because there is no support, maybe no support system for her when she leaves. I know she has a mom, but um, yeah, I guess I wonder if you could speak to that, Bianca. Um, Caitlin's one of my really good friends. Um, and meeting her, we actually went to jail for like my first time staying a long time and her second time in Burnside. Um we ended up going the same day and I never really got to know her because the whole time she'd be in SAG and they'd send her for 30 day evaluations and they kind of just had her all over the place and locking her up in her cell was just easier for them and the the diagnosis that they had they would just put her on a bunch of medication and change it all the time and she'd go through her freak outs like sometimes when you see her get mad her whole eye is just all black like you you can't calm her down she's just gone at that point and so she was really big into self-harming and she kind of just got stuck in SAG a lot and I find the reason behind that is she grew up in um being so mentally ill at some times that she just would be gone staying in homeless shelters and 
her mom probably just couldn't handle it and tried to get her help or she'd run away and be in all kinds of different uh, detox type places and they try to help her but they ended up they didn't really help her they ended up institutional making her institutionalized so that's why she felt more comfortable in jail like you know it's bad when you are more comfortable sleeping on concrete with lights on 24 hours a day with a toilet right by your head instead of being home at your mother like that's not her mother's fault that was our system's fault our mental health system's fault they should have took better care of her and helped her and listened to her and even in her story she knows what she needs no one was listening to her they just were just giving her whatever and sending her on her way so so the healthcare system for women incarcerated I guess, like, I mean, Bianca, maybe you could talk about your experience because the film does show, you know, what you went through when you were pregnant. Um, I guess, yeah, could you just tell us a bit about what happened to you and, and what your experience was like with uh, the healthcare system in jail? Um, I was in jail for seven and a half months of my pregnancy. Um, and basically, healthcare was slim to none at first. Um, it took. Um, I think six weeks to get me to the IWK for an ultrasound. Um, I had just found out I was pregnant and I found out while I was in Calgary so I didn't have access to any doctor and then I got back and then the next day I went to jail. Um, so basically uh, I went to jail, I told them I was pregnant and I was telling them I was really sick. Um, it turned out I had a uh, UTI, which is a bladder infection, and I had E. coli, e. coli in my pee, um, probably from being in Calgary and drinking their water. Sorry if anyone's from there. Um, yeah. Um, but I started going to the IWK and just to do that was just, it was crazy. Uh, I would get taken out myself five minutes before um, I had to leave. They'd take me down. They'd strip search me. They'd put me in an orange jumpsuit that had CNFFC on the back, um, handcuff me, shackle me. Um, when I wasn't really showing, they wouldn't, they would put both shackles and handcuffs, but um, they stopped doing that after you show so you could brace your fall um, with your hands. They didn't even have to put the shackles or handcuffs on me. It's their own discretion. Um, so even if I went with the, I usually went with the same people um, every week and they knew I wasn't trying to run. I was just trying to get the health care and um, they'd still put the shackles on me. So they would put me in the back of the sheriff van and pull out front of the Children's Hospital here in Halifax, the IWK, um, they would go in, grab a wheelchair, and they'd put me in the wheelchair, and then they'd basically parade me through the lobby into the waiting room in front of everyone staring at you um, in shackles, everything. And mm. then you'd sit in your doctor's appointment, like they're obviously going to see when you have the baby at some point. So... Um, mm. yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy process and just getting to see healthcare in the jail is just, they didn't listen to me at all. I kept telling them like, I'm itchy. I had, um, obstetrical stasis and they would give me Benadryl and stuff like that. And just, they wouldn't listen at all. So finally, when I got out, I had got, 
um, the care I needed for the obstetrical stasis, but at that point, um, it was probably too late. Um, the seriousness of obstetrical stasis is kind of like looked over. Um, I find in the um, in the children's hospital, they kind of just gave me the medication and said the baby was fine. Um, but reading up on it, it does affect a baby's respiratory and um, the, the baby ended up passing away from meconium. What I was going through, she was also going through and didn't make it. So, yeah, I kind of blame yeah. the jails. <laughs> well, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Thank you. Three days ago, I found out my baby died inside of me. And I never really got to know who she was. There's an idea that comes up in the film, uh, decarceration. And uh, I wonder if you could just talk a bit about what that word means and, and I guess what, you th what your thoughts are on it, on, on decarceration. Um, well, for us and I think the film crew, it's just um, like actually for me, it's more um, instead of investing into more jails to invest in the women um, and put money into our mental health systems and our addiction systems and make more uh, resources for women. Um, our huge project that we were working on um, from the ground up is basically everything in one um, and hopefully it'll happen but that's what we mean by decarcerate we just want women to be listened to we know what we need to get help and um, if people would just listen instead of just throwing us in jail then uh, we'd actually see a difference that's what we mean by decarcerate do you have anything to add to that Nance? I mean, no, this, she said it perfectly, but uh, the only thing would be that, that obviously, you know, punishment has not proven to help um, marginalized women or marginalized anybody. It doesn't, punishment hasn't worked for anybody. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a really, if you want to just look at the dollars and cents, decarceration means investing, like, like Bianca said, in something that is actually a good investment. <laughs> As opposed to, I mean, even the most right-wing, um, you know, power monger corporate mind would, would not want to make this investment. This is a bad, uh, bad return on investment. You're putting in over $105,000 a year or something to um, imprison a woman uh, per year. Just think what that $105,000 could do. I'm wondering if you think the public is ready for alternative approaches to prisons. I think that um, if the public want their taxes to go down, <laughs> that they should get on board. Um, but I honestly think that there's going to be people that have a little bit of backlash with, with like about us trying to decarcerate and shut down jails and stuff. But I think that if we show them the 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 amount of work that we put into it and the amount of effort that the women themselves are putting into their change and rehabilitation is going to show the public that we do want change and that people are trying and working towards something better instead of putting all this money into something that don't work. I just don't understand um, 
what people don't understand about that. Like you're putting money into something that will never make a change. Like that's just the most stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life for someone to think that that is the most adequate way to go. Like we need to start making change. We're wasting money and we're wasting time and we're wasting people's lives that sometimes don't even need to be inside. We're wasting time and wasting money on people that haven't even been proven guilty. That's an issue that needs to stop. So people will get on board eventually. Yeah, I mean, if you talk to Senator Kim Pate, she's she's pretty convinced um, and she's doing it one senator at a time. She's bringing them inside prison to show them. Um, she believes wholeheartedly that this is something that the public will get on board with. I think yeah, there isn't a person, doesn't matter your social status, um, that isn't affected by mental illness and, and therefore addiction, usually. Um, so I think people can relate. I think that's why we made the film, is to find that person inside of everybody who is suffering, who is being punished for suffering. And, and I think most people can relate to that and realize that this is the wrong way to go about it. Can you talk a bit more about your plans for the film? I know you showed it to um, a federal corrections uh, a person, but uh, what, what, what else do you hope to uh, do with uh, the film going forward? Well, I mean, I think what, what we're, we're starting a screening tour, probably launching it on Prisoner Justice Day. Uh, we're just sort of lining up all the um, the venues, mostly hosted and or co-hosted by the Elizabeth Fry Society. So there'll be sort of grassroots screening. There'll be also it'll do the festival route. Um, so we really want um, Bianca and Trina, if she's able to be a part of the screening tours, and also if they're you know if they're too far away, we want an Elizabeth Fry. um, advocate or lived experienced person to be there so that they can answer some of these questions that people are going to have. There's also sort of very direct things you can do at each screening to help because people walk out of these films at at hot docs. Um, There was everybody walked up to us and said, what can we do? What can we do? Um, One of them is to write your your government official and and say you want to spend your tax dollars a little more wisely. Um, the other is that there are supports needed in every community with the Elizabeth Fry. Um, they need donations. They need help for whatever project that they're starting. Um, here they're starting a backpack program, which and hopefully funding someone to meet a woman at the gate every time they leave prison with a backpack with survival stuff in it to help, you know, bus passes and cell phones and um, personal hygiene products and a person there to help them get to their appointments. So that's something that they're raising money here. So those kind of things. It's it's a very that's what we're hoping hoping that the film does. So that'll be August tenth, and we'll launch the screening tour. We're hoping to have a simultaneous screening inside prisons across the country, and then that'll start the screening tour with the Elizabeth Fry Societies after that. Um, well, I guess I, uh, we'll kind of wrap up our, our conversation, but uh, maybe I could just ask just sort of uh, Bianca first. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Um, I'm just taking it easy. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and the w- other women in the film, how are they doing, uh, Nance? I think they're doing all right. <laughs> yeah, so we've got um, Caitlin is doing quite well. Um, I think she still sort of battles with the idea that that it's safer inside. Um, So I think she's still having a few bumps here and there, but on on the whole, I think she's doing quite well. 
Um, Laura is uh, now in federal custody um, because she asked for it, which is mind-boggling. She asked for a longer um, sentence in order to try to get more help in the federal system. So that's what happens. Um, but uh, she's doing okay. She actually, we met with her and she, she had one message to say that she hoped that people would look at working girls, women on the streets, um, a little differently so that they understand the trauma that they're going through. Um, so we met with her. We showed her the film. Uh, and um, Trina is still, uh, she is on house arrest um, and is still battling and struggling and um, trying really hard to get off of house arrest so she can work because she really needs to work. Are there any other uh, countries or maybe uh, provinces uh, where we could be looking at uh, as a model for prison uh, reform? Well, I mean, of course, everyone always looks to, you know, Scandinavia, like northern, like Norway and Finland. And um, their their system in terms of the men's prisons, um, they are, if you want to look at a definition of decarceration, their their prison numbers are going down drastically and they have closed like four or five prisons. Yeah. And they even like in some places in the UK, they have like vending machines that have like toothbrushes and they give the homeless these cards that they can use to like get a meal or they can use it up to three times a day and they can get a meal a toothbrush toothpaste and deodorant anything that would help them at that time and they have them stationed all over some cities in the uk so even their homelessness is is being dealt with in their mental health so they're yeah. definitely a good. I, I think. I think one thing that Kim would say, and a lot of um, people that are looking at the global situation, you can't do a blanket even from the ground up. From the ground up would work here in this community, um, and and I think that's you know the argument with the healing lodges, and you you have to you have to serve the communities. You have to deal with it community by community basis. So what works in Norway may not work here. We have a much more multicultural. <laughs> Um, situation here and we we would need to create something that serves the population here so that's the thing you can look at all kinds of models but Kim Kim is very much like let's just why don't we be the model how about we we've got the money we've got the will we've got the open-mindedness um, let's 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 us be the model I thought the introduction of uh, art therapy was an interesting uh, choice. Is that being implemented in other prisons that you know of? Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, we that was that was our doing. That wasn't happening. They had, they did have an artist come in after we did the program, um, but s- we started that in that prison. Um, but there are other art therapy programs going on all around the world. There's a great prison arts coalition has a great uh, Facebook page and you can go um, on social media and see a lot of amazing prison artwork. Mm-hmm. There's, there's great drama and uh, music, but we were the first ones to bring the art and the, and the, the music into the federal system too. We had, there was um, a woman, L. Jones, she was doing some spoken word and poetry. Uh, there have been individual people coming in for a day here and a day there, but uh, yeah, so there is quite a lot happening and it's, it's, it's amazing. There's actually an exhibit going on uh, down in, I think in Mexico, New Mexico. But um, yeah, we hope to actually exhibit 
some of their work, especially Caitlin's photography, was just to die for. She's an amazing eye. Mm-hmm. So we hope to have an exhibit of some of the women's work and in accompaniment uh, to accompany the screenings. Well, I, I want to thank you both uh, so much for giving us so much of your time and uh, for sharing this uh, film with us. It was a really great treat to talk to both of you. Thanks a lot. Yes, thank you. And that's the podcast. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and better yet, please tell a friend. If you want to get in touch, write us at ondocs at tvo.org or follow me on Twitter at colinellis81. Thanks to producers Chantal Berganza and Matthew O'Mara and production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hallowell. Our podcast manager is Hannah Song. Thanks most of all to you, our listeners. We'll catch you at the next screening.